Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Over the last several weeks, we have been working through the first half of Daniel, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, the narrative portion of the book of Daniel. And this morning, we will wrap up and conclude with Daniel chapter 6, the last story, the last real uh, narrative story of the book of Daniel. The second half of Daniel is apocalyptic literature uh, akin to the book of Revelation. And so we have been paying attention to the six stories of Daniel and his friends. And perhaps Daniel chapter 6 is the most well-known of those stories, as we'll get to Daniel being thrown into the lion's den this morning. Um, video games are pretty big around my house, as they may be around your house or with your grandkids. And when you get on a video game, there's only one thing to do, right? Win. When you get on a video game, that is the point of being on the video game is you want to win. You strive to win. You look to win. You do everything you can to win. No matter what the game is, you are trying to accomplish winning. Um, you may have heard of the game Fortnite, but, you know, um, this is instilled pretty early because my five-year-old, my youngest, my scout wins at Fortnite. She, that, this is what she does. And it's amazing to me how early on in life that we kind of grab on to this idea to win at all costs. Now, the hardest thing for God's people, for godly people, for Jesus followers may be to wrestle with the concept, with the idea that life is not about winning. It's not about the victory. It's not about the medal. It's not about the trophy. It's not about the W. In fact, Jesus actually calls us to be losers because in losing, we gain. In death, we find life. That God's people are not to pursue the victory at all costs. It's not about making sure your team wins. And if they don't win, we're going to be upset, upset about it. The pursuit of godliness never, and I believe this, never takes us to a victory. The pursuit of godliness will always take us to the lost column. It won't be that we will do whatever it takes. We will be people who pursue godliness, which the world will look at more times than not. They will look at the pursuit of godliness and they will say, that person they're losing. Now, here's some preacher homework. If you, it, it, it doesn't take very long, and you can go through the first six chapters of the book of Daniel on your own. But when you pay attention to the, the, to the stories of Daniel and his friends in these first six chapters, Daniel and his friends are consistently pursuing a godliness that is not of their world. They're not pursuing Babylon. They're not pursuing the prestige of their king. They're not pursuing the likeness of others around them. They pursue godliness, and their godliness produces faithfulness. And so what we learn from Dan, the godly man, in these six stories, in these six chapters, is that godliness pursues various things. And these are just things that I've paid attention to. 
as we've gone through this study, as I've read through these six chapters multiple times over the last several weeks, but godliness pursues a singular identity in God alone. An identity that's not made up of other things or other people, not made up of which side of the aisle you're on. It is a singular identity that is formed and shaped by God himself. Godliness produces uh, a, 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 a pursuit of truth, excuse me, that comes only from God. Godliness per, uh, pursues truth in God. See, when, when Daniel is confronted by these intense circumstances in this book, these intense circumstances where his executioner is at his door in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel isn't pursuing a way to get out of it. Daniel is pursuing the truth that only comes from God, and he turns to God for the answers. Godliness pursues God's presence in all circumstances. Whether it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who choose God over death, they choose God's presence even in the face of a fiery furnace. Godliness pursues humility, a position between self and God. Godliness is pursuing a position where God is God and we do not try to control what is around us. And then godliness, I've noticed in Daniel, pursues prayer. Pursues time with, the presence of, the time spent with the Father. And we see that no more, nowhere else really except here in Daniel chapter 6. Now in Daniel chapter 6, we have a new king, King Darius. And what we learn in the opening verses of Daniel chapter 6 is that King Darius values Daniel highly. He sees something in Daniel. This Persian king sees so much in Daniel is that King Darius is planning to hand over the entire kingdom, at least the administration of the kingdom, the entire Persian kingdom to Daniel. That catches the attention of others who probably would like to be in that position. Picking up in Daniel chapter 6 verse 4. The other administrators and the other high officers, they began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, verse 5, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Let's, let's kind of build out what's going on here in Daniel chapter 6 and understand, uh, make sure we're all on the same page about exactly what's going on. Jealousy has taken root, hasn't it? Daniel has been faithful. He has been, he has been responsible, and he has found himself to be trustworthy in the king's court. And this has led him to a position of, of where his peers find jealousy in where he is at position-wise. And so what the other administrators want to do is they want to get Daniel out of this position. And they can't find anything wrong with Daniel's work, Daniel's position, with Daniel's place, anything. The only thing they can conclude is that we will have 
to catch him in his religion. We're going to have to trip him up here. And so what happens in the following verses is that the other administrators, they go to the king and they stroke his ego. And they convince him to sign into law a 30-day window where law says you can pray to no one else, to nothing else, to no other deity other than King Darius himself. These other administrators, they, they, they appease to King Darius here. They stroke his ego and his vanity, and the king signs it into law. Picking up in verse 10 of chapter 6. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, when Daniel knew that King Darius had created a law, signed into law, that you cannot pray to any other person or any other deity other than King Darius himself, or you'll be thrown into the lion's den, here's what Daniel did when he learned of that law. He went home, and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. His windows opened towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as, just as he always had done, giving thanks to God. Now, the idea of pursuing victory over all other things would say, Daniel, take a step back, man. Think about your circumstances. Because if you go home and do what you always have done over however long in your life, Daniel's an older man at this point. If you go home and do what you've always done, Daniel, you risk the chance of losing your position, losing your prestige, losing the kingdom. You risk life, Daniel. Don't do it. See, the pursuit of victory puts us in a place where we say, you know what? The circumstances are going to dictate how I function and how I live. The circumstances around me are going to tell me what to do. The circumstances around me will influence my faithfulness, which isn't faithfulness at all. See, the pursuit of victory would mean Daniel would change up his faithfulness he would alter his faithful actions to god but that's not what daniel does when he learns of this law he knows what the consequences are he knows what the circumstances are and daniel chooses faithfulness daniel and his friends over these six chapters have been faced with incredibly intense circumstances Circumstances that push us, pull us, kick us, push us down. And every time we find that these faithful men choose God. And that is not a pursuit of victory. That is a pursuit of godliness. And I think it's important to point out here very quickly. Is I don't think Daniel's practicing religion. Daniel doesn't learn the law of King Darius. And, and Daniel is like, well, my religion dictates. The rules of my religion say I better do this. See, Daniel's not, not operating inside of the structure of religion. Daniel is operating in a pursuit of the presence of God and godliness. Daniel's not risking life. He's not risking his position 
for the rules of a religion. He is risking it all because God is worth the risk. And those things are separate and they are different. His presence, God's presence in Daniel's life means so much to him that he's going to go do and be with the God that he's always been with, regardless of what King Darius may say. And so I want us to think about this, and I want us to kind of dwell with this for just a moment. Because I think Daniel 6, before we get to the back half of the chapter, I think Daniel 6 teaches us to be pursuers of prayer. Pursue prayer. Be a prayer. Pray in all circumstances at all times, as Paul would say. Pursue prayer because it places you in the presence of God. Pursue prayer. Daniel refused to give up prayer, what it comes down to. He refused to give up the time that he had with God. And if push came to shove, how many of us would choose prayer over the pusher? Pursuing God is not winning, it is losing to this world. And pursuing God is life everlasting. Pursuing God says that in intense situations, I want God on my side. I think we have to constantly, constantly push up against the idea that prayer is simply some form of communication. God is not your customer service representative that you go to when you find yourself in a lion's den or a fiery furnace or when your executioner shows up at your door. No. God is the creator of all things and sustainer of who we are. God is present in all circumstances. And prayer is not simply a form of communication. It is communion. It is time with. It is the intentionality of going into the presence of God for a period of time. Not to get the request or the wish or the hope said. You know what? Think about this for a moment. Matthew chapter 6, for instance. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches of prayer. And before Jesus gets to the communication part of prayer, notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, And then pray to your Father who is unseen. See, Jesus in his teaching is wanting us, he's trying to help us understand that prayer is not simply communication. It is being in the presence of. And so Jesus builds this visual that when you go pray, be sure you go into the room with God. That you go into the place where God is because you are not simply going to talk to him. You're not picking up the phone. You're going to be in the room with him. And so when you pray, go into the room, close the door because you are going to spend intimate and personal time with the creator of the universe. 
It's not simply communication. It's being in the presence of. And so we have to start thinking about, we have to push up against this idea that prayer is something I say. It's something I, I get off before dinner or bed. It's, it's being in the presence of. And Daniel's pursuing a relationship with God. He's not giving up a phone call. He doesn't want to give up his time with God. He looks at it as, as a room that he goes into, a place that he visits, a place that he is in the presence of God, that prayer isn't speaking, it's being with. And so the presence of God now builds him up. The presence of God now shows him, it's now with him when a law comes into effect that says he is not allowed to pray to any other God because he knows that his God is with him in intense, unforeseen, difficult circumstances. Uh, there's an illustration. I, I teach uh, 11th grade boys Bible at OCA, Oklahoma Christian Academy. And there's this illustration I've used before. I had a, I had a boy one time who loved raising canes. I mean, and the other boys would make fun of him because he would literally go to raising canes every day. Loved it so much, he would just go. And so I was trying to get this kind of idea across that, that prayer is the presence, is being in the presence of God, and that the presence of God, when you leave that room, God is with you, that, that God, God follows you, that you take that time with God with you wherever you may go. And so I told them, you go to Raising Cane's. You eat a good meal. It's perfect day because you went to your favorite place. And as you're leaving the restaurant full and satisfied, while you're still in the parking lot, you turn to see that Raising Cane's is burning down. You don't want that. No one wants that. Your favorite place burning down before your very eyes. What are you going to do about it? The, the circumstance, the situation isn't ideal. You're not going to be able to eat it again. It's gone. It's going to be gone as it burns before you. But the circumstance does not dictate who you are in that moment. Because God is with you even when raising canes is burning down. And so when you spend time with God, no matter what may be transpiring around us, God is with us in those moments. His presence walks with us. It's not ideal. You don't like what's going on. I don't agree with this. I don't like this. But if we pursue victory, what we're going to do is become a loud, clanging symbol. We're going to be people with no faithfulness, but only the desire to win. And godliness says, the pursuit of God's presence says, that even if, it's burning down around us. God is here. He is more important than the situation. And so Daniel's caught praying. This is against the law for him. He's caught praying like he normally does. He's turned into the king by the spies. This distresses the king in Daniel chapter 6. Dan, uh, King Darius likes Daniel. They're friends. He trusts him. 
And now he's pressured in to sign this law. Daniel's caught praying when the law says you're not allowed to. And law says, Daniel, you must be thrown into the fire. Uh, sorry, the lion's den. That's chapter three. You got to be thrown into the lion's den. And so the king sees no way around this and has to order Daniel's death. The situation's not ideal for Daniel. Do you think Daniel enjoys being in a circumstance like this? But notice that Daniel has already decided that the circumstance will not dictate his faithfulness. His relationship and his pursuit of God will continue regardless of what may lie ahead. Even when it's burning down before him. God through all. So Daniel sent to his death. The king seals the cover of the lion's den himself. And the king spends the rest of the night alone in prayer for his friend Daniel. At first light, the king runs back to the uh, to the lion's den. He rushes to open it and as he approaches the lion's den, Daniel chapter 6, verse 20. When King Darius got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Now, we can hear that and read that chapter 6 verse 20 and that may sound like a pretty funny question was your God able to rescue you for many of us we know the end of the story so it seems like a silly question but think about the situation Daniel has been thrown into a den with lions hungry ferocious lions and so it's not a silly question Daniel's supposed to be dead. He's supposed to be gone. And Daniel knows that is the expected outcome when you pursue God. You're not pursuing victory. You're pursuing God's presence in your life, even when you know the lion's den is at the end of the road. Was your God able to save you? And I think that really is a pretty pertinent question for 21st century Christians is your God able to rescue you is your God able to rescue you from the lions are you worshiping a God who is feeble and unable to rescue you from a pandemic Are you worshiping a God who is not powerful enough to see you through disastrous, heart-wrenching moments of life? Are you worshiping a God who sees lions and says, oh no, there's nothing I can do? I'm curious. Is your God able to rescue you from the lions? Jesus says that what's impossible with man is possible with God. Luke chapter 18. 
You know why Jesus says that? Because his God is able to rescue in the midst of a lion's den. And perhaps one of the reasons we don't take time to go be in prayer, to go into the room, close the door, and be in the presence of God, perhaps one of the reasons we don't take time away from social media, perhaps one of the reasons we don't take time to put our phone down, perhaps one of the reasons we don't take time to turn off the football game or stop playing golf or whatever it is, to be in the presence of God is because our God is not able to rescue us. That's what we believe. Perhaps if we believe that God is able to do the impossible in our lives, to rescue us from the power and the ferociousness of the lions, perhaps we would make the intentional effort to be in the presence of God, the God who is able to rescue us. We work so hard to stay out of the lion's den because that's a win. We work so hard to avoid the lion's den. We pray that God will keep us away from that. And I'm sure Daniel's prayer also prayed for that as well. But we pursue it with such intensity. We pursue it like a child in a video game who has to win at all costs. And if my political team doesn't win, then I don't know what I'm going to do. We pursue victory with everything we have with such intensity. And I'm wondering, is that because our God is not able to rescue us? I'm wondering, what exactly are we pursuing? Story continues. Daniel, was your God able to rescue you from the lions? Verse 21, Daniel answers from inside the lion's den, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The power of the lions is no match for the power of God. Leave here today with that truth, if anything else. The power of the lions is no match to the power of God. You know what? If Daniel, if, if Daniel had gone into the lion's den and the lions had pounced, Daniel would have been saved because he's a faithful follower of his God. Many years ago, um, I... I don't even know if Lucy was born yet. We had Reese. She's just a tiny baby. We go to the Fort Worth Zoo. We're living in Dallas-Fort Worth at the time. And I remember this very vividly as we're going through the zoo like you do. We get to the lion's den at the Fort Worth Zoo. There's no one else around. And I'm holding baby Reese with, uh, uh, in, in my arms. And right before us in the lion's den is this beautiful, massive, male lion just laying there just out in the open taking a nap and so i'm holding baby reese and we're looking out and we're looking at the lion and i'm pointed out and i remember baby reese was pretty enamored with the lion and all of a sudden the lion starts to stand up right where he was and 
points directly. I think he was making eye contact with me. And he begins to roar. Just like you would see in Lion King. But I mean, the barrier, the, the gap that was between us didn't seem adequate enough in this moment. This powerful, ferocious animal is roaring. And I thought in this way, restarts crying. I won't comment if I was, but it was a pretty intense moment because you think, oh no, what's going to happen? This is a ferocious, intense, powerful animal roaring right before us. Your God is more powerful than the lions. He's more intense. He's more ferocious for you. God can overcome the barrier to which lions can't. Do you believe it? Baptism is an act of God's mighty overcoming power. Baptism is a decision that we make to die to this world. To say, you know what? Victory isn't everything. And I'm going to lose this world. Because in death and in loss, we gain the power of God. It is the power of God's spirit. It's new life. And it's a life dependent on that power, not on the victory of surviving a lion's den. It is life with God, sustained by God. And perhaps today is a day that you, perhaps you need to be reminded of your baptismal power. That you have died to this place and you've been raised anew. Or perhaps this morning, today is a day that you need to make the choice to die, to lose, and to pursue something far greater. The power and the ferociousness of a God who died for you in Jesus Christ. As we end this morning, as Luke makes his way up, I want to end with the, the new decree that King Darius ends with in Daniel chapter 6. This is our invitation. I'm inviting you wherever you are and whatever may be going on in your life is to live the truth that your God is more powerful than the lions. King Darius declares this. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel. And can I add, he has rescued you from the power of the lions.